Thank you uh, for that worship this morning. I enjoy listening to you sing. I say it every week, but I, I just do. It's one of my favorite parts about being a pastor is just sitting and listening to the people of God, praise God for who he is uh, and for what he's done. Uh, this morning, if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 5, continue our uh, Come and See series, uh, finishing up John chapter 5. Uh, and I've called this sermon, Can I Get a Witness? Now, I was thinking of a song that ended up being a Christian song, but I'm pretty sure that there's an older song about Can I Get a Witness? And I can't remember the name of it, but you probably know the name of it. Uh, and I don't know. But it's like, Can I Get a Witness? And as I was thinking, it has been a while since I've used an illustration from the Andy Griffin show. Uh, and, I mean, I had a lot of different TV shows I could have chose to illustrate this at the beginning, but one of my favorite Andy Griffin shows is the Punch in the Nose episode. Anybody remember that one? You know what I'm talking about? The one where Barney decides to open up, what, a 50-year-old, 20-year-old case between Foley and Floyd because somebody punched somebody in the nose and nobody ever signed a paper. And so what Barney goes around doing is he talks to the people who have varying stories and then he brings in the witness because he's like, well, I got to have a witness. And five-year-old Gomer? Goober. Five-year-old Goober did not, or Gomer, I can't remember which one. It's really the same character, just different actors. I mean, it is. It's, you know, he was five, and so he tried to do the best, but he didn't even see it, and then the story goes on, and then, lo and behold, somebody gets punched in the nose again, because Barney doesn't know how to leave well enough alone, and again, nobody sees it, and so now you got crazy Barney running around, can I get a witness, can I get a witness, who did? who saw this, who saw this, and it's just a terrible thing. Of course, Andy comes to the rescue, Kind of. And then Barney ends up getting punched in the nose because he still didn't get a witness. Uh, yesterday, I was accused of breaking my father's golf cart. No. Well, maybe. It's possible. Uh, it was working fine until I got on it and it didn't work. And I told my story. And my father didn't believe me. He goes, you had to have done something. I said, well, I don't have a witness. Because I had the sermon in my mind, so that's what I said. He goes, well, you better get one or you're going to owe me. (laughs) (laughs) So apparently I flooded the carburetor. I guess that's a thing. I'm not a mechanic. Uh, But there was a lot of gas in a lot of places that there shouldn't have been gas. Uh, And I had no witness to come to my defense. Thus, I I, I did it. Because nobody was there to qualify. Uh, can I get a witness? If you remember back, John, uh, G- John is telling us a story. And John chapter 5 is this one big unit with one big narrative. Uh, Jesus walks into Jerusalem. He heals a man on the Sabbath, which is a no-no. He then tells the man to pick up your mat and walk. Another big no-no. And then Jesus claims that he and the Father is one. And last week we went through the list of Jesus' claims of how he and the Father are equal. Basically what we saw last week is Jesus has authority over the temple, which is earlier in the book. He has authority over the Sabbath. He has the authority to heal. He's got the authority to do this, to bring life. He has the authority to judge people because he and the Father are one. Now, now John's a pretty good writer, and what we don't see is the interaction from the or the reaction from the Jewish leaders. 
Um, a lot of scholars believe that this section that we started last week through the end of the chapter was an ongoing conversation. That it could have lasted a few days and that there was back and forth between Jesus and the religious leaders. But John's not giving us the reaction of the religious leaders. Other than we can assume that after Jesus got done giving his resume or giving his, uh, this is why I have this authority, some religious leader in the back said, can I get a witness? Can you prove it? Because Jesus uh, says here in the very first uh, verse of this section, verse 31, he says, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. It's like me, I didn't break that golf cart, but my testimony about myself was not true because I didn't have a witness. So Jesus says, my testimony about myself, even though he, now listen, don't miss this. Jesus knows it's true. Jesus is not questioning anything that he has previously said. The religious leaders are questioning it, and I'll tell you why in a minute. Verse 32, there is another who testifies about me, and I know that the testimony he gives about me is true. So there must have been some pushback saying, you're making these bold claims. You're making these great authoritative claims, but where's the proof? Where's the evidence? You see, uh, there's this Old Testament uh, kind of, uh, there's an Old Testament law in Deuteronomy 17.6 that says more than one witness is required to condemn someone of a crime. So if I'm over here and I steal something, it takes more than one witness to find me guilty. And over time, that law got expanded and modified to the, the Jewish judicial system, which was basically for a person's claim to be validated, there had to have been more than one witness to confirm what they are saying. And so Jesus has made these claims. The religious leaders are like, well, we don't believe you. Where's your witnesses? Or you could put it to it like this. Jesus has given his resume to the religious leaders. They want his references. They want his references to confirm what he is saying. And so that is the setting. That is the stage for what Jesus is going to provide. And he's going to provide four witnesses. Now, in a roundabout way, we've talked about three of these in in pretty in-depth. So we're not going to spend a lot of time on the first three, but we're going to spend a significant amount of time on the fourth one because I want you to see some comparisons uh, to other people in the Gospel of John when we get there. So let's start in John chapter 5. We'll start in verse 33. Here's the witnesses that Jesus lays out in his defense. You sent messengers to John the Baptist. It doesn't say that, but that's who he's talking about, John the Baptist. And he testified to the truth. Now, I don't receive human testimony, but I say these things so that you may be saved. John was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But I have a greater testimony than John's because of the works that the Father has given me to accomplish. These very works I am doing testify about me and that the Father has sent me. The Father who sent me, he himself testified about me. You have not heard his voice at any time, and you haven't seen his form. You do not have his word residing in you, because you do not believe the one he sent. You pour over the scriptures, because you think you have eternal life in them, 
and yet they testify about me. But you are not willing to come to me so that you may have life. Verse 41, I do not accept glory from people, but I know you, that you have no love for God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and yet you don't accept me. If someone else comes in his name, oh, you'll accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but you do not seek the glory that comes from only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to my father. Your accuser is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, because he wrote about me. But if you do not believe what he wrote, how will you believe my words? And so this is a pretty powerful passage that Jesus throws out. He gives his defense and provides his witnesses, but then Jesus turns into a prosecutor. Jesus flips the script to the religious leaders who don't believe him. So let's just dive in. The first witness he gives is John the Baptist. Now we've spent a couple of sermons on John the Baptist, but just to remind you, John the Baptist was the forerunner. He showed up as this kind of hippie preacher, this wild street preacher with weird hair and eating weird things and baptizing people, and he was preparing the way for Jesus. His job was to announce the coming of the Messiah. You know, his job was to get people ready for the king. And we look at when the king shows up, when Jesus shows up, John the Baptist says, it's time for me to decrease so he can increase. And so he was a witness to the truth. He told people about Jesus and who Jesus was. He even at one point pointed to Jesus and said, there he is. That's the Lamb of God. That's the Son of God. That's the Messiah. That's the one you need to be following. And for a time, it seems like when you read this passage, the religious leaders were okay with John the Baptist. It seems for a time that they may have thought he was a prophet and that his message was okay. But then they sent the leaders to him, and there was a conflict in the early chapters of John, and they turned on the Baptist. Now, it's not clear if John the Baptist has been killed at this point or not. Probably so. But that is a witness, a powerful witness. But I want to just point out, these religious leaders rejected the witness of John the Baptist. So Jesus provides another witness, his works. Witness number two is his works, the signs, the miracles that he is doing. He just, now context is key, he just healed a man who was paralyzed for 35, 38 years. The man hadn't been able to walk, he hadn't been able to do anything, he was an invalid. Jesus shows up, gives him a command to get up and walk, and he walks. And all these, remember, this, I preached on this, all these religious leaders could do was focus on, he did it on the Sabbath. And Jesus is healing other people. John makes it clear at the end of his gospel that Jesus did a ton of signs and miracles and that there are so many that there wasn't enough paper to write it all down. So Jesus is doing all these miracles. He's healing people. He is providing them with signs that he is who he says he is. And yet all they're focused on is the fact he's breaking a law. His signs are a witness. In fact, I would say the religious leaders probably said, well, anybody can do these signs. 
It's true. There were magicians. There were people who did supposed miracles in that day. But Jesus is doing authentic miracles, real miracles, the which comes from his power given to him by God the Father. Now, now we've talked again. We're summarizing a lot of the early chapters of the book here. Jesus is not seeking sign seekers. It's really important to put out to point out. Jesus isn't seeking people who are following him just because of the signs. And the signs aren't intended to save anybody uh, from their sins. The signs are just to affirm and confirm Jesus is who he says he is. And we're going to see in chapter 6 that a whole lot of people were following Jesus because of the signs. And when Jesus starts talking about the truth, they leave. They're just sign seekers. But here we see a group of religious people who aren't even uh, believing in the signs. So they reject that as a witness. Then Jesus gets really theological. He says in verse 37 and 38, a third witness is the Father, God himself. God himself is a witness. The Father who sent me has himself testified about me. You have not heard his voice at any time, and you haven't seen his form. Uh, It's probably an illusion or thinking back to the baptism of Jesus. When the dove, you read this in the other Gospels, the, the skies open up and a dove descends and the voice of God is heard. This is my son, whom I am well pleased. The father, who is one with the son, has provided a testimony And the voice that we hear from the Father is the voice of Jesus. The very teachings of Jesus are the words of the Father testifying that Jesus is who he says he is. But again, the religious leaders will reject that because claiming to be one with the Father is blasphemy. But the fourth witness, this is where I want to spend a lot of time because this is important. I think there are some... Very, very important truths that we can pull out of this fourth witness that goes from 39 to 47. It is a witness that these religious leaders would have trouble rejecting. It's the scriptures. The fourth witness that Jesus presents is the Old Testament. The Old Testament. Again, the New Testament isn't written yet. So Jesus points the Old Testament. He looks at these religious leaders and he says to them in verse 38, you don't have his word residing in you. In verse 39, you pour over the scriptures because you think you will have eternal life in them and yet they testify about me. But you are not willing to come to me so that you may have life. And he goes on to talk about how Moses wrote about Jesus. The very Old Testament that they claim to hold above everything. The very word of God that they study and pour over. I mean, these religious leaders, you could go up to, this was before Microsoft Word. Okay, they, you could go up and say, how many letters are in Jeremiah? They tell you. I didn't do that research. I cannot. Okay, how many, how many, well, they didn't have punctuation, so to speak. But how many little dots and and tittles and all these little things, how many of that's there? They could tell you. 
It is said that a Pharisee could take the scrolls, put them all on top of each other, take a nail, hammer a nail through it, and they can tell you every symbol, every letter missing on the page where the nail went through. They poured over the scriptures. These were the, I mean, these were the PhD scholars of the day. These were the guys who had the doctorates. Like I may have one day, right? Yeah. Make y'all call me doctor. I mean, they knew the scriptures. She's shaking her head. They knew it. Now, I find this comparison to be very fascinating with me. Philip, back in chapter 1. I'm just going to read this to you. In chapter 1, verse 45, Philip, the fisherman, and then Nathaniel, again, just a commoner, probably not educated much past a, a middle school level because they're not with a rabbi. They didn't pass that test. But these fishermen, these common people, here's what they say. Here's what Philip says. We have found him who Moses in the law and also in the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And all week I have found myself asking the question, how did the common man and women, how did they get it? And those who knew the Bible didn't. How is it that the everyday people saw Jesus for who he was? That they were obviously educated enough that they had read Moses, they had read the law, they had read the prophets, but they have not studied Moses or the prophets. Not like the religious leaders of the day. And yet they correctly identify who Jesus is and the PhDs of the day do not. Now, I want to make it clear. I, have, I, I encourage people to get educated. I enjoyed my master's program, and I would love to expand my education. I think education is highly important. I think studying the scriptures, saturating your soul with the Bible, knowing it like the Pharisees knew it, is important. But, but, don't miss the point of the scriptures. Don't get so caught up with the academic study of the scriptures that you miss the main point of the scriptures, which is Jesus. Starting really in Genesis 1-1, but if you want to just nail it down from Genesis 3-15 on, it's all about Jesus. Genesis 3-15, just to summarize it, that's where God says, you know, I'm going to have uh, the seed step on the serpent's head and destroy the serpent. That's probably not even a good paraphrase, but you can go back and read Genesis 3.15. That is the very first prophecy about Jesus. That's where God says, I get it, humanity, you messed up. Adam and Eve, you messed up. You sinned. You rebelled. God comes in and says, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix it. And from then on, the entire Bible is about Jesus. Everything's about Jesus. And the Bible, the scriptures absolutely... Now, now, now focus in with me. The scriptures absolutely tell us the best way to live life. If we would follow the laws of God, society would function exactly like God intended it to function. So that's there. When we find ourselves in desperate situations seeking answers to very hard questions, the Bible has the answers. So it's there. But those are secondary purposes of the Bible. The purpose of the Bible, the purpose of the Old Testament all the way through our New Testament is to show us who we are as sinful humans, 
who God is as the Savior, or who God is as the loving, merciful Father who sent His Son as the Savior. That's the Bible. And, and these, these scholars of this day, in Jesus' day, and I want to tell you, scholars of our day too, get so caught up in arguing about minor things that we miss the Bible. I'll give you a perfect example. We get, there are people who get so caught up in arguing over what the revelation means. Post-mill, pre-mill, pre-trib. And these people argue. It doesn't matter. God wins. That's the point of that book. The gospel is that God wins. There's always been debates over Arminianism and Calvinism and Molinism. And it's, it's fun to study and it's fun to have those discussions. But don't miss the point that Jesus saves. Don't miss the point that this scripture is about God's love for humanity that he sent his one and only son so that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. The scriptures give witness to him. I read this. I thought this was fantastic. The Bible is a hymn book. H-I-M. The Bible is a hymn book. It's all about him. And we see in the text that these people poured over the scriptures and they missed the gospel. They missed Jesus. They could have won any Bible trivia contest and hell's just as hot for them as it is for anybody because they missed Jesus. And so then Jesus, after giving his witness, he begins to go on the offensive. He says in verse 40, you are not willing to come to me so that you may have life. Jesus says, I do not accept glory from people. Again, Jesus doesn't need these people to testify to him. He knows who he is. Jesus doesn't need the, the glory of people, although it is good for us to give him honor and glory. But verse 42, he says, but I know that you have no love for God within you. They don't love God. And at that point, somebody probably grabbed the pitchfork. He goes, don't tell me I don't love God. I memorized Psalm 119, right? That's long, by the way. You don't tell me I don't love God. I know the scriptures. Well, no, you don't. You've missed Jesus. He says, I've come in my Father's name, and yet you do not accept me. If someone comes in another name, oh, you'll accept him. How can you believe since you do not accept glory, since you accept glory from one another? All these religious leaders cared about, all these Pharisees cared about, was how many people uh, gave good reviews of their books. All they cared about was, you know, Pharisee A patting Pharisee B on the back. Oh, that's a wonderful insight. I had never thought of that before. That's all I cared about. They cared about standing on the street corners, offering up these magnificent prayers so people could walk by and say, oh, that's a good prayer. I wish I could pray like that. They cared about the glory of man. That's why they created all these man-made laws. It was like, I never break the Sabbath because I've followed all 24 chapters of the Sabbath keeping in the Mishnah. Good job. 
All they care about is the glory of man. People today, they will love to tell you all these things that they know about the Bible and they've I've read, you know, people come and say, I've read the Bible through and through Genesis to Revelations 227 times. That's a hyperbole, by the way. And I'm like, well, that's great. We should read the Bible. Did you see Jesus? Did you see Jesus? Uh, I never claimed to be the smartest person in the room. I've never thought of myself as that. And there were times in seminary where uh, it was very clear I wasn't the smartest person in the room compared to other people. And, and I can't tell you, I mean, I don't, I'm not good at memorizing or, or learning things. I couldn't be a Pharisee and tell you what letter's missing. But I can tell you where Jesus is at. Um, I, don't, I can't debate a lot of the hot-button topics in Christianity today. But I can tell you about Jesus. I'm probably never going to write a book but I can read a book and I can tell you about Jesus. We can't miss Jesus in the text. In verse 45, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. Your accuser is Moses. That's that's bold. (laughs) This is bold. Jesus, is he's with it right now. This is bold. Because these rabbis, they set their hope in Moses. They've put their hope, their faith, their trust in Moses. Their salvation comes through Moses. What Jesus says here, Moses found his faith in me. Moses put his trust in me. Moses wrote about me. Then the last, he says, but if you do not believe what he wrote, how will you believe my words? The whole point of this is this. I want to encourage you to read your Bibles. I, I, I Read them cover to cover. Go to Bible studies. Pour over this book. But here's the application for you. Here's what you need to ask when you read the Bible. What does this say about me as a human? You'll find that it'll say you're a sinner. That you cannot live up to God's standards. And then you ask the question, what does this say about Jesus? And what you'll find is that Jesus saves you from your sins. Jesus can heal you from your spiritual paralyticness, invalidness. God created and God's going to win. That's Genesis to Revelation. With Jesus Christ, our Savior, the hero all the way through it. What does the Bible say about me and my condition? And what does it say about Jesus and his power to save me from that condition? Because Jesus came to set us free. Jesus came to set us free. Has he set you free today? Have you seen him in the world? I wish Jesus was walking around today and I wish we could see him. But this is where we'll see him. This is what gives witness to our Savior. Have you said yes to Jesus? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for all the witnesses that we have seen from John the Baptist to the Father to the signs and miracles 
But most of all, we're thankful for the word of God. We're thankful that as we read the scriptures and study the scriptures, we see you. We see your love. We see your mercy. We see how utterly sinful we are and how unconditionally loving you are. Father, help us to love this scriptures just as much as the Pharisees loved them. But help us to see what they did not see. And help us to follow the King of Kings, the Prince of Peace. Help us to surrender our life to his teaching because he is one with the Father. And he is the only one who can save us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.